podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to, because life is too short for bad shit. I'm Eric. I'm Jason. So uh, we've finally made it into double digits here, and some of you who uh, have been following along, our faithful listeners in iTunes, might notice that there is no episode number nine. Uh, unfortunately, we had a recording snafu with number nine, and so it's absent. It was the flooding in it, Texas. It'll be the, the lost episode for all time. <laughs> yeah. I know at least one person out there said that they did grab it while it was briefly in the stream, but once we heard the audio quality, we decided to pull it down, which is unfortunate. One of the things we did talk about in episode number nine was focusing on two categories each week and spending a little more time discussing each one as opposed to trying to cover food, TV and movies, music, and books every single week. So this week, we will be talking about books and music. Yeah. But uh, first, I wanted to mention to you, Jason, um, last week in the episode that was lost, you talked about a movie that you'd seen in school when you were a kid that you've been searching for. You even had called the school multiple times trying to talk to a teacher. I just have to give you shit because I Googled uh, kid... Homeless kid with, with a cat, and I found it in Google in about 20 seconds. All right, so that's seriously how you find it? <laughs> yes. Because I was meaning to ask you, like, how you – that can't fucking be. So this lost movie, which happens to be a <laughs> movie called JT, about an inner-city black kid who is homeless, and he's living in the street, and he adopts this – finds this cat who becomes his best friend. He steals a can of tuna. So you were talking about how you'd been searching and searching for this movie. I Googled it, and in about 20 seconds, I found it. Fuck out of here. How does... I don't understand, because, I mean, I've been looking for it. And, I mean, I've used Google a couple times. Right. Like, I'm pretty familiar with it. I can't fucking believe you found it. That It was seriously Homeless Kid with Cat. Yeah, and when you looked at the The title, it has that in it. It says, like, JT, Homeless Kid with Cat. Wow, I feel like like a fucking idiot. I can't believe it. But I'll tell you what, man. You sent me that link, and I started watching it and it was like within the first like 20 seconds i was like holy shit this is it and there were like the synapses in my brain it was like fireworks every all i was like holy shit i remember that from just seeing it one time right it's crazy yeah what like and i honestly have never seen it since fourth grade and i remember how, how how the hell do you remember stuff like that yeah, makes it's you, crazy. I mean, you're scared yeah, what you do in front of your kids a little I bit. I know. Yeah, it's interesting what makes an impression, what makes a strong impression. Yeah. Um, Fucking one Google. Yeah. Seriously, I was like, because I was thinking as we were talking about on the podcast, <laughs> and for those who won't have heard it, we discussed um, movies or TV shows that had a, a profound impact on us when we were kids. Um, so while we were sitting doing the podcast, I was thinking, I'm going to go up and Google this thing and see if I can find it. And I had forgot about it for a couple of days, Googled it, and in like 20 seconds found it. Sometimes it's just about the phrase you use, I guess. I guess. I don't know. I don't have, I don't have a, a good fucking excuse for that. I'm, I don't care either. I'm just happy I got it now. Thank you. That is, yeah. I'm so psyched. I haven't watched all of it yet. Um, right. But that's a good one. So what's new with you? Piece in the puzzle. What do you got? Oh, I got, um, so we're going to, um, as you said, we're talking about music um, this week um, and road trips. And um, when I was thinking about it last week, I started um, looking around. I'm dying to buy a cool car. Like, I'm something old and, you know, um, illogical. Something that it does not make like a, a lot pinto. Of- <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, a pinto. Um, I started looking around, and there's um, there's actually a really cool um, car show this weekend. Midwest, oh, really? Yeah, Midwest Mopars has um, their... Um, I don't know. What the, I don't know what's called like cars in the park or some something. I don't know what I'm what it is. But Midwest Mopars is um, a, a local car club dealing, you know, with Mopars, Dodge, and Plymouth yep. and yeah, yeah. Chrysler. And um, yeah, so they got a there's a show on Sunday. So I'm really looking forward to that. So you're, you're going for American Muscle? I'm going for American Muscle. That's right. Yeah, I'm nice. going down there with a pocket full of money. <laughs> And start fucking no. I mean, I, I'm, and, and you might as well be setting it on fire. Exactly. Because <laughs> when you buy one of those cars, you're going to need a, a whole lot more money. To oh, put into dude, it. yeah. I mean, yeah. let's face it. We live in Minneapolis. Like that thing is in storage for seven months a year. For sure. But you could uh, take it out to the cars and coffee place out. Um, there's a place outside town. Um, cars and coffee is something that happens all over across the United States in different cities. But um, there's a, a really nice 
storage place out in Chanhassen here, and that's where they have cars and coffee. So a lot of people that have exotic Italian sports cars, like, just roll up the garage, put out some donuts, and people come by and see their Ferrari and talk to them about, you know, whatever. Seriously? And, yeah, you can um, drop your car off there in storage, and they do, like, Uber rides to the airport from there, and... You know, it's like they they have all sort of all sorts of concierge services for if you're storing your car. Now, I have no idea how much it costs. It might be cost prohibited to doesn't a s- couple of uh, average Joes like us. Yeah, seriously, it doesn't. It sounds pretty highfalutin. Yeah, it sounds fucking nice though. I mean, I think people go out there just with like you know BMW M3s and stuff like that. At least for the cars and coffee thing, I don't know if they have them stored there, but yeah, yeah, cars, man. Fucking a, man. I would love to have something like you know, like I said, just. I've, I've wanted one for so long. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you know, for me, it's always about having something that's unique that not, yeah, exactly. not everyone else has. Yeah. It has a little bit of a story to it that has some heritage or history. It's. I love just being in an old car, just looking at, like, the old design and, you know, drum brakes, shit that doesn't stop on a dime. Yep. It doesn't – there's no air conditioning. Things don't – like, it's a different – it's a little bit of a struggle to get where you're going to. Right. You know? <laughs> The struggle is real. Yeah. What about you? What do you got going on? Um, I'm taking a friend's suit shopping. Oh, uh, yeah? Yeah. Actually, it's, actually, it's Peter. Bur- Burlington Co-Factory? Yep. Bur- yeah, all the way. <laughs> you, you, you'll like the way you look. I guarantee it. You know, <laughs> yeah. men, little men's warehouse. No. Um, we're going to do, you know, I, I feel like for suits, it's hard to beat Nordstrom. And the men's oh, department sure. at Nordstrom. Yeah. Well, his, his sister's getting married. Is that? Uh, no, actually, this is... Um, not Peter Petrullo. Oh, oh. Um, Peter of Peter and Sarah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just looking for a suit to actually get married in. Oh, yeah. So, uh, what's oh, yeah. He's skinny. He's like a fucking rack. You can he, you can hang yeah. anything on him. And speaking of the rack, um, a great sort of insider tip is if you have a Nordstrom rack in your area, all the men's suit, suiting stuff that's like one season out goes to the Nordstrom rack. Yep. And it's about 60% off, and you can pick up really nice suits. Hugo Boss suits, John Varvato suits. I got a Ben Sherman suit there yeah. at the rack for like for like 200 bucks. And they actually usually have someone on staff who really knows what they're talking about, too, They who's actually like you know trained in men's suiting and can help you find the right fit. And I think you can also, uh, I believe, take a suit back to the uh, mainline store, and they will alter it for you for free. Even oh, though wow. you bought it at the rack. Really? So, yeah, props to Nordstrom for the suits. Fucking A, for Maybe sure. that, and um, I think we'll go Nordstrom mainline, Nordstrom rack, and um, J. Crew. The Ludlow suits at J. Crew right now are really nice. They're, They're killer. Yeah, um, my Beth, uh, my wife is um, very, knows a lot about menswear, and people, everybody in menswear right now is saying that that is the deal. That J. Crew suit, people are freaking out over it uh, in the industry. They're yeah. going crazy over that thing. I wore one today. Oh, did you? Yep. Yeah, that's a nice suit. Look good. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I was. Looking at different suits last night, I granted it's a, a few five years old. Maybe at this point, I pulled out a Hugo Boss suit and was showing it to Nicole, my wife, and she was like, "Nope, go with the Ludlow, the J Crew suit all the way. It just looks better." Yeah, you know. So it's like you're putting it up against Hugo Boss, Varvados. They're nice made suits. I mean, they haven't given them made in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're either Japanese or Italian fabrics. Really nice stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they are. Like, I think she was telling me uh, some of those, those flannels are Italian flannels. Yeah, they're killer, those things. For sure. Nice. All right, well, let's get into format. Let's do it, man. Let's go. So for Reed, what we wanted to talk about, uh, topical, we're all getting into kind of summer vacations and that kind of stuff. So we want to talk about three awesome summer reads. So these are a particular kind of book, something you'd recommend to someone that's just like a really fun read that they would, you know, you might have a different idea than the average person about what a fun summer read is. Yeah, I think I probably (laughs) do. I got – because honestly, I didn't – I just kind of went with picks that are that were that were great summer reads for me in the past. I didn't like think about like what the quintessential. You don't care about anyone else. Fuck no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> they can do their own podcast. This is my this is my podcast. I'm going to talk about the right the books that would get from me. Yeah, right. This there's the podcasting world is free. You can go out and talk about all the shit you want. This we're going to talk about the books that I liked. All right. right. So what's 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 first in the world of Jason Santos? First in my world is um, maybe my all-time um, favorite summer read. I, I read it pretty much every summer. Is um, Night of the Iguana? 
hmm. Tennessee Williams play. I, I love yeah. love reading drama. Um, love reading plays. Just the um, the the flow of reading a play is obviously a lot different than reading a novel or a short mm-hmm. story or something. And it's something I really enjoy. Um, in Tennessee Williams plays, um, for whatever reason, I really enjoy reading. Um, and Night of the Iguana is so great. Um, it's basically the story of a defrocked priest who, um, melts down in, um, in the jungle while he's driving a bus of, uh, I think they're on a retreat. There's, it's like a bunch of nuns. Um, and they, they, he has a breakdown. He's been drinking too much and he, falls into a um did they make a f- famous movie out of this oh, with yeah. Peter Fonda or something like that no um Dustin Hoffman no no, no. tricky tricky dick burton Oh, I right. say tricky Dick Burton, yeah. <laughs> Richard Burton um <laughs> um uh yeah Richard Burton and um I forget who the fe- his counterpart his female counterpart um who has this resort he basically the bus is breaking down and he like he takes them completely they're supposed to be going um you know they're on a retreat and they're supposed to be going to the next town to like start talking to people about you know about what is you know about god here you go this is the this is the light you got to come this way he takes them directly in the opposite direction to a friend of his resort the bus breaks down you know kind of um outside this woman's resort and he goes in there and basically talks about his existential crisis that he's having um it's i don't know i guess um and it's it's funny you mentioned the movie because the movie is fabulous it's so good i can't believe i can't remember the woman's name but um it it's um so hot like and maybe that's why i think about um summer with it because he like it through the entire thing he's just like sweating and heat plays such a factor in the in the story um but there's like there's something about like he's always talking about like i mean that's not um uncommon for a tennessee williams play like heat sort of plays for sure a big role yeah, yeah. in all of Tennessee you know that's a that's a character of his yeah right um and just like cold drinks you can like hear the glass clinking in the glasses when you're when you're reading this stuff you know and he's yeah. like the and it helps as in many other Tennessee Williams plays it 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 is fueling his sort of mental rage as he's kind of having this crisis and, you know, and all the nuns, everybody like on the, on the retreat is super pissed at him. And he's just like, well, two more days, the part's coming and they're just fucking riding him the whole time. Like, when are we getting out of here? You're a shyster. You know what I mean? And it's just building up this huge like crisis that he's having. Um, it's so good. I, and he has, Tennessee Williams has such a way of creating a sense of place too, which I, I talk about all the time is one of like super important for me with, you know, when I'm reading something, I just love to know where they are and picture them, you know? And, right. and that's what I think like, if you're like, if you're, I think something about a summer read is you've got, you know, you got some time, right? School's out for the summer. You're, you're, you know, a summer read is kind of an escape really. It's, a, it gives your imagination a chance to kind of, Go imagine yourself somewhere else. So uh, something like this I love because you can start to really picture, like, what's happening, where they are. And it's just – it's so – Joyful! I I love that thing, man. That's cool. I can't say I've I haven't read Night of the Iguana. I've read Glass Menagerie and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Obviously, both great, super great. You know? Yeah. And it, he obviously has a. All of his characters are in crisis. You know. Oh, for sure. Deep, yeah. deep crisis all the time, which is one of the things <laughs> that's so great about him. So. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so my first pick, um, and I would highly recommend people read this before the movie comes out, because I can't imagine the movie is going to do this book justice, because it's such an uh, unbelievable, the world building and the everything in this book uh, is so awesome. Uh, it's called Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Huh. Are you familiar with this I, book? I'm not at all, no. So it's a sci-fi book that came out a few years ago, and it um, has kind of been a, a cult hit. So what it is is it kind of presupposes um, a world not too different and not too distant from ours where there's one company that has sort of 
imagine Apple and Google and Amazon and all and Facebook rolled up into one. There's this one super dominant company that owns the kind of all the entertainment and internet industry. And so this guy, um, I believe he, uh, decides to the guy who like is the CEO of the sort of Elon Musk or Steve jobs kind of figure of this company either retires or dies. I'm having a hard time remembering now and decides to basically leave his entire fortune to the first person that can solve a, a online scavenger hunt in the this virtual world that he has created. That's cool. So people use, kind of similar to Neuromancer, a couple of the other um, books that have come out, where you, you're jacked into this sort of virtual reality, you know, which... You know, is not too not in the not too distant future for all of us now that there's Oculus Rift and all these headsets coming out. Yeah. So, um, and this guy who is the founder of this company was a massive. He was like a child of the '80s. So all of the there's a, like a series of riddles. I think there's like six or seven levels, and all of them require skill at either skill at '80s era video games like classic arcade games sure. or. Require knowledge of 80s like TV show and movie trivia. So for people that are like kids of the 80s or into like classic arcade games, you know, Joust and all that kind of stuff, um, it's a great book because it just takes you right back to your childhood and a fascination with all these things. So it's this weird blend of like very, very high future tech, but also low tech because it's going back to like when computers and games and all, all this kind of culture was first starting to happen. Um, so what happens is there's this individual who's the protagonist of the story and he's in a race against time to basically, um, you know, he's like a hacker gamer, super like cult enthusiast of this guy. He's in a race versus a corporation that's not too dissimilar from you kind of imagine in your head, like a Microsoft, someone or someone who wants to, um, control basically, they hire tons and tons of players, like corporate players, to try to solve this riddle. And if, if they make it clear that if they get this, what has been like this sort of free access, almost like open source world and tech, they're basically going to take it over and privatize it all and start charging everyone money. They're going to Comcast it. Yeah, they're going to Comcast it. Exactly. <laughs> right. So it's not only this race to like be the one who wins, and there's like a public leaderboard and all this stuff, and the, there's um, certain prizes or advantages for being the first person to pass a gate. Um, and it's only then that you unlock the second clue. So you, uh, you also get an adv- a time advantage solving the next part of it. Um, so it's like kind of this like public game for the whole world to watch. But there's only so many elite players that can compete. So there's a handful of these like the protagonist and a handful of people who are in a race against time. They're sort of like frenemies because they're competing against each other. But at the same time, they all want one of them to win versus this corporation. This sounds so good. It's really good. It's super entertaining. There's nothing quite like it out there. It's sort of like a blend of like something like running man or whatever. I was just going like, to say, it sounds like a little games? bit running man. Yeah. Meet, um, uh, neuromancer or, um, what's the n- snow crash? Something like that. Okay. Where it's like, it's, it's a little more snow crash than it is running man or neuromancer. It's sort of like, you know, there's this hacker sort of free world enthusiast versus big corporation. And it's got some of those vibes going on. It, it feels very contemporary and very, you know, future looking, you know, dealing with some of these issues as, you know, we see the, all these corporations start to consolidate and buy up all these other, you know, there's hardly such a thing as emerging technology. You know, Oculus Rift hardly exists before Facebook buys it. So um, how old is the book? Like I said, it's only a few years old, so it's pretty new, but, um, there are, I think a movie, so it's been adapted or a a movie is about to come out about it. So, okay. And it's seriously, it's such an enjoyable book. It's one of those books that, like, when you finish it, you're like, oh, I wish I could read this for the first time. Again. Oh, wow. You're no like, shit. I'll only read this for the first time once, but I, I wish I could do it What's again. What's the name of the game? Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Oh, cool. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now I get it. Um, fucking A, that sounds really good. Yeah. How long is it? Um, I would put it, like, at 500 pages or so. Okay. So it's, not, it's definitely not short. It's not a quick, like you know, um, sci-fi read, but it's not like epic fantasy length either. It's somewhere right. in between. So 
for children of the eighties. Four, Four fifty, five hundred pages, maybe. We're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to ask you at some point. Well, fuck, I'll ask you right now. Um, it was this is summer read. Another like lost artifact of my childhood. Um, I was a bit older though. Do you remember a book? Um, that was a group of kids who had gotten into playing Dungeons and Dragons. They didn't use Dungeons and Dragons. It was like a role playing game. They got super into a role playing game. And there was also weed involved. They were smoking weed. <laughs> and, like, there was, like, one magical fucking joint or something. And they smoked weed, and one of the kids went off the deep end and went crazy from playing the role-playing games. The mixture of role-playing games and weed drove them. Was this the Mazes and Monsters thing, where they made the movie with Tom Hanks? Jesus, I hope not. Because I'm, in my head, it's some super it's fucking... Book. It's some obscure fucking thing. There was a movie with Tom Hanks that they made. And it was exactly that. It was to scare people about the dangers of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. You know, it, it's this weird occult thing. And he went and he was like living in the sewers thinking it was a dungeon. It's such, uh, he's got to be so embarrassed about it now. It, it was almost like, it was not quite the, like the basement level of like a made for, you know, like after school uh, special, but it wasn't too many nuts. notches above an after school special. Like it, it aired in prime time, but yeah, it was totally like, you know, religious, Basically, huh. propaganda against Dungeons and Dragons. This was this was definitely and that movie made my life hell. By the way, because that was one of the things that like caused everyone's grandma to be like, hey, "Are you in a cult <laughs> if you play that game? And yeah. are you like worshiping the devil?" And right, you know, and you're like, "Jesus, kind of no, I'm yeah. not. I'm not. I'm trying to I'm fucking using my brain. I'm using my brain. Yeah, being creative and using my imagination. Well, hell, I'll just maybe I'll do a deep dive into Google and put like fucking Dungeons and Dragons pot novel <laughs> and see what comes back. <laughs> about you're gonna get about three million returns. <laughs> Seriously. Ugh. All right. Um, we were you? Um, I, I interrupted you. Were you? Were you I'm, kind of wrapped up uh, yep. with Ready Player One? Yep. That sounds killer, man. I don't know how the fuck you find time to read so much. You read so much. It's tough for me to keep up. I'm gonna have. To, I gotta start fucking reading more. Get my fucking list going. Um, so my second pick um, is um, Please Kill Me, the Legs McNeil um, sort of documented history of punk rock. Huh. In New Wave, um, it's Legs, and, and there's another, he has a co-author. Now, um, anybody listening that may have, people, this is a pretty divisive book. People are like, you know, that's not the, that's not really what happened. This is a, shown through a, you know, it's super subjective, and, um, which that may be true. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there, but um, I'll tell you that it's, it, it's um, put together a lot, like, um, this band could be your life. Are you right. familiar with that book? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So it's interviews, um, and it's not you know it's actual interviews with Iggy Pop, with Sid Vicious, with um, you know just um, tons everybody you know Debbie Harry, um, Jane County, everybody. Um, and it's in it's all but it's laid out in a um, in a uh, chronological fashion, so you're starting early on with like the damned, right? Even earlier with like Iggy and the Stooges stuff, like early '70s, yeah. and hearing stories about like it sounds like the book version of Decline of Western Civilization. It, it yeah, it's it's pretty similar um, setup, um, but it's it's much um, it's much more colorful. Like it's it, you're hearing the stories of like. You know, like being in the Stooges' apartment in Detroit with like gnarly descriptions of like what the bathroom looked like after like years of shooting up in there and like gruesome shit. And then you get to like see, you know, different people's opinions of somebody like Malcolm McLaren, you know, it's just a piece of shit. And like people talking about him and the influences that he had and Lou Reed and who was just completely an outsider and Andy Warhol and how all these people from different parts of life are, you know, all from all different factors, how, how they sort of like played a part in building this world that lasted for, you know, Really, it was super short, right? I mean, yeah. at the at you know, you can say whatever you want, whatever the first punk rock song was, the Rose, you know, Ro- is it the Rose or Rose the Damned? Many mm-hmm. people attribute with being the first, but you know, MC Five and that stuff was early seventies. So, 
anyhow, it's it's a killer book. It's super fun because um, it's great for a summer read because you can read it for ten minutes and then put it down and go swimming and go forget about it for two days and pick it back up and you, you're right where you left off. Right. And you're never more than four pages away from a new interview starting, mm. which I think is pretty key for a summer read. Like, for sure. It's got to be something that you can – you don't need to like, you know – put your blinders on and study the thing for, you know, for fucking 10 days. Like it's, it's easy to read. And it's sort of just like, if you're a fan of punk rock, which, you know, you and I both are like, it's nice to just like, it's fun to hear like the stories behind famous records and what people were doing and stuff. And it's, it's a great read and super easy. You fly through it. Cool. Please kill me. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. So my second pick is a book, uh, called dare me by Megan Abbott. So Megan Abbott has been getting a lot of attention recently. She's um, an author from the East Coast, New York City maybe. Um, she started off her career writing more traditional kind of crime fiction and noir sort of stuff. Very, you know, like pulpy sort of, you know, an updated sort of more modern take on some of those pulpy things. But lately she's been doing all these books that are really great that are technically young adult books, but they tend to be – kind of at the sort of bleeding edge of young adult and adult fiction. Um, and this book, Dare Me, has kind of been a sort of fondly dubbed cheerleader noir. So what it is, it's about this um, cheerleader squad where all these girls are kind of in their senior year. And um, that's a, obviously, as we know from real stories of things that have happened in Texas, murders and all sorts of stuff like that, it's an environment that's obviously rife for conflict. So what happens is um, a new cheerleading coach comes in and she and the girl who is like the, one of the most popular girls in school, who's the captain of the cheerleading squad, start having this power struggle for influence with the rest of the girls in the squad. And it's, uh, it is a, literally a study. Anyone who is interested in writing or character development or how to build tension in a story should read this book because the characters and the conflict are so organic. It feels so natural the way that they build, but it's so masterfully built that it's seriously, I tell all of my writer friends all the time that they should read this book. Really? This is like a study in how to build character and how to build conflict uh, through character. Huh. Um, how, what is it? How does it like grab the attention of like a grown person? Like if it's like about because honestly, like uh, something about like if you told me if it was somebody else describing this book and it's like oh it's you know it's about high school cheerleaders I'd be like are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Like so what? How does it like? I, you know I think it's regardless of the environment you don't need to know that. And another thing that's amazing about Megan Abbott is she has this way to sort of write these books that really capture sort of the zeitgeist of the time. The book she wrote after this was this book called The Fever. It was actually based on that. Um, weird thing in upstate New York where these girls were getting sick and there was this quote-unquote disease whipping through the school and no one could figure out what it was. The mass hysteria kind of yes, thing? Yes, the mass hysteria thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, called, this book called The Fever and she has, uh, you know, it's based on that but there's obviously a fictional plot. I don't want to ru ruin, like, what happens for oh, people. Oh, that but, great. And so this one, if you think about all the scandal with, like, teachers, like this big massive thing of... You know, every day you're okay. hearing about teachers having sex with students. For and all sure, yeah. It's like um, there's something about our culture that's really fascinated with, I think, those high school settings. And everyone, you know, lived through this torturous sort of, you know, oh, yeah. weird high school experience where you're half one foot in adulthood, one foot in still in adolescence and trying to preserve that. And um, you don't quite know how to articulate what it is you're feeling and stand up for yourself. And I think it deals with a lot of those tensions in a way that's really relatable to people. And it's so, uh, just so well executed that I think anyone is going to enjoy this and burn through it super fast. Yeah. And I guess it's not fair to challenge something because it takes place in high school. I mean, look at like 16 candles or for sure. any of those, you know, that genre of movies like Breakfast Club, I mean, that's always going to be a – it's always going to be fantastic, right? Yeah. It's always going to be great. Absolutely. And I would put this more in the um, more in the camp of Heathers, you know. Than, okay. Sure, yeah. You know, it's going to be more like – it's more like a Heathers look at high school than it is okay. the Sixteen Candles, which has sort of like an innocence – a sort of universal appeal but an innocence to it. This is uh, a darker look at what it means to be – 
a high school student and what it means to be an adult who is like sort of manipulating these high school students in a really sketchy way. That sounds really good. Um, what what's the name of you? Dare me. Dare me. Cool. So yeah, awesome. When's how old's that one? Uh, that one's also a couple of years old. She's ha- had um, a couple books come out, but sh- her thing now is like writing about these kind of noirish sort of situations um, set in. Did you ever see Brick? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. So that's that obviously like you know hard boiled, you know very stylized hard boiled no- noir set in a high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she's kind of doing a thing like that, like young kids, girls that disappear and sort of mystery and sort of almost like crime theme sort of things. Oh, killer. So, you know, who knows if she'll keep doing that, but she's done about three, four books that are kind of set in that same setting and on that theme, they're like, been, have been runaway hits. I mean, the crime fiction scene still adores her and reads all of her books. Okay. So. Did you read, was this a summer read for you? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think I I, was. I read it on vacation. I read it in Mexico, actually. Okay. Uh, down in our favorite Palapa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Burned through it, so. All right, know. nice. All right, my um, my last pick is um, is Kitchen Confidential. Yeah, yeah, of course. Great book, right? Yeah. Um, Anthony Bourdain. Um, for anybody, I think um, for me, my kind of like connection to that in summer was um like summer times like summer jobs for me like through high school a bunch in high school and then all through college my summer jobs were working in restaurants and um so I always kind of associate summertime with working in a restaurant and this is the tell-all of working right working in restaurants and he's a lot of the restaurants he's working in aren't too far stone's throw from where you're talking about. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, he started, yeah, like out, um, out in Provincetown. Yep. Um, and yeah, it was, it's the same scene. So it's, uh, just like working for, with and for dicks and people that are just like, you know, yeah. it, that suck to work with and like, <laughs> You know, and the struggle and just doing, you know, all the shit that you do when you're young and stupid and working in the kitchen, getting high in the walk-in. For sure. And, you know, all of that. And But it's such a good, like, it's another kind of, like, super easy read, really juicy. You're laughing at it all the time. You're like, oh, fuck, that's really funny. Like, he's a, I think he's a great writer. Yeah, he is a great writer. And I think what most people think about when they first think about that book is exactly what you're talking about. But one of the... Uh, the whole like expose of the restaurant world and don't buy fish on a Monday and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Sunday yeah. brunch is like all the shit that they're trying to get rid of and all that kind <laughs> of stuff that we're like yep. the restaurant insider secret stuff. And one of the things that I really loved about that book was talking about how when he was young and he was traveling with his parents, he just decided that like to really experience the world, he was just going to tr- eat everything and try That's right. everything. Yeah. I think about that a lot with my kids because they're going through a phase right now where they used to like – Helen ate sashimi and yak momos and all this stuff, and she's gone down to this, like, and it's part of its developmental, but this phase where it's like she's eating white things. You know, oh, like really? <laughs> cheese bread and pizza and, you know, yeah, yeah. quesadillas, all that kind of stuff. I mean, they, they still eat steamed broccoli and cauliflower. I can't complain too much, but. Yeah. I, and I'm looking forward to that phase where they kind of. Expand Open back horizons up. again. They like watching food shows with me. Like they love that Chef's Table show on Netflix. Which, oh, really? By the way, I cannot recommend highly enough to anyone who has a Netflix subscription. You should be watching all of the Chef's Table stuff right now. Yeah, you've been um, going crazy over that lately. Oh my god! If Netflix keeps cranking out stuff like that, I will just keep shoving money at them. Fuck yeah! I will give them as much money as they want if yeah. they keep doing content at that level. Cool. So, um, but you know, I, I, it's important that they love food and. Ex- Explore food, you know, in, oh, yeah. in the same way that I love to do, obviously. And it's a you're depriving yourself of all sorts of experiences and all sorts of pleasure and different cultures, experiencing different cultures if you're not eating everything. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, not a lot else to say about that book. It's like it, it's. I think it's a great summer read. Super easy to read. Again, you can just pick it up wherever you left off. And he's funny as hell. I, I love I love that book. Yeah, that's a great book. So my last pick uh, is a book that is also probably being made into a movie sometime soon. Uh, it's called Red Rising by Pierce Brown. So this is a book that's this really um, unique 
blend of, and you know me, I love books that kind of mash genres together. Yes, you do. This is a really weird um, blend of sci-fi and sort of fantasy. Um, so uh, what happens in this book is it starts off, there's um, a very stratified uh, class. You, you're kind of, the book opens in a colony on Mars, and there's this class of what they call Reds, and they're basically like slave labor. They're working in mines. I mean, imagine like the worst sort of coal mine in the South or in Virginia or whatever. You, they're like dying, you know, horrible conditions, and they're slaving away for um, these upper classes that go into like the highest classes, the golds. So um, basically, it's this completely stratified society. You know, not too different, dystopian future, not too different from, like, a Hunger Games, but, you know, on multiple planets. Mm -hmm. And um, what happens is uh, this guy who is, uh, he's sort of this guy who rides on this big hydraulic drill. So it's, like, one of the most dangerous jobs. He He's, like, this crazy risk taker he's always trying to push so that if their crew gets, like, the most, is the most efficient, they get an extra basket of food. I mean, these people, they're starving. So, like, to them, any small thing, and they're totally oppressed, any small happiness, any small extra food. Um, well, his wife uh, ends up sort of speaking out and... Um, being executed, and when he tries to stop it, he's also sentenced to death. And as he's being sentenced to death, his uncle basically gets him uh, into this underground society who uh, turn him into, through futuristic kind of plastic surgery and some, some other um, implants and things like that, they make him into a gold. And he is sent to um, infiltrate the kind of gold society and kind of bring it down from the inside. Ah, nice. And some of the some of the skills, not only the like, um, not only the like being someone who's this like adrenaline junkie risk taker, but just having to live by your wits for so long kind of uniquely prepares him to excel in this gold society. So he's sent to the equivalent of like a military academy where they go to this. Um, they're all dropped. All these gold people. Um, there's kind of like a sort of arena thing to even get access to this elite military school. He kind of passes through that. And they're basically dropped into what is this elaborate war game. And the first novel is this massive elaborate war game for him trying to compete to, if he doesn't make it to the top of this gold society, he's of no use to this kind of rebel group that's trying to pull them down from the inside. So that's the whole first book is the story of him um, and what he does to sort of try to work his way up. And it's, Unbelievably it entertaining, awesome action, very unique. You know, there's a lot of books out there in sort of the fantasy and sci-fi world that involve like, you know, everyone thinks when they hear about this, they're like, oh, it's like young kid goes to school, he's like adopted or whatever, his parents aren't around, that sounds just like Harry Potter. Well, I hate to break it to you, but those tropes go back to like oral tales in Africa. Yeah. So it's a least likely hero you know, gains training, works his way up. And uh, to me, those stories are endlessly entertaining and I can't get enough of them because you're like just rooting for this person oh, who has so these hard. unique skills and um, seeing them conquer and dominate and do do really interesting things. So anyways, Red Rising, the second book in the trilogy is out and it's very different, but as good, if not better, uh, which is called Golden Sun. It's about, um, you know, just picks up the story where it left off. And I believe the third one is coming out soon, which will be the concluding kind of chapter. Cool. And uh, really, really good. Red Rising by Pierce Brown. Killer. In another movie. Yeah, I, it's got to be coming out soon. Yeah. You know, it's like, for the same reason Maze Runner and all those, you know, sure. got turned right into, it's like you can kind of see someone in Hollywood just being like, oh yeah, this right here. Yeah, I can see this is going to be huge. You know, <laughs> totally. It, yeah, it's the next Divergent, Hunger Games. You know, whatever they're just picking all that stuff up and running with it, and yep. you know, millennials and teens can't get enough. So, all right, so cool. that concludes our awesome summer reads category. Next, we're going to uh, three best albums to listen to on a road trip. Yes, for sure. This is fun. Yeah, I got some good picks. Um, I'll tell you, I'll start with, um, I'm going to start with, um, again, this, these are, I, I got picks here that are, 
Again, not what I think you should be <laughs> listening to. Or actually, I do think you should be listening to this stuff on a road trip for sure. But this is these are these are um, records for me that are would I would not take a road trip without them, like for sure. So, um, first one is one of my heroes, Dave Alvin. Um, he has forever been like he was. Before, so he has this record, the, the one that I'm going to recommend now called The King of California, which is from, could even be as old as like the mid 80s. Um, Have you played this while we were on a trip together? I feel like maybe when we, we were in Oregon. Um, we have listened, yeah, we've definitely listened to Dave Alvin, yep, on a road trip. This record, it wasn't this record, it was Blackjack David, okay. which is another one that you could almost like slot into this. Um, but this this record, King of California, is um, like the song King of California is about a guy who like is going on a road trip and he leaves. I mean, he's going on kind of the ancient style, like he's going wagon train across the California. Right. But huh. um, but yeah, Dave Alvin. I mean, he's like you know blasters. Um, he and his brother Phil Alvin um, were in the blasters together and John Doe. And he's just, um, I, I could go on and I'm going to be talking about Dave Alvin again at some point. So let me, let me play a little bit, um, of King of California here. Actually, you know what? Since this is, um, about summer road trips, I'm going to play, um, this was a blaster song. Um, X play X. I think it was a blaster song first. Yeah. And X covered it. And this is Dave Alvin wrote it, but this is him. Um, the 4th of July. Um, it's just so good. chills every time I hear that. It's so good. And, and like I said, so many people have covered that song. It's pretty well known, like in the root scene, X has played it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my first pick is, is Dave Alvin King of California record is so good. The whole thing on a road trip. Cool. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. What do you got happening? So I, uh, you know, it's been a long time since I've taken a road trip. It's been, I don't know, four or five years, you know, when you've got, I mean, besides going back and forth to my family's house in Wisconsin, in which case we're like shoving iPads in the kids' hands or yeah, like totally. listening to kids' music or listening to the stuff that they need to study for piano and violin or whatever. So that, um, so we don't, I don't listen to a ton of music in the car, like on road trips. Um, but they're getting to the age where it's about the time to start showing them like the things that you don't access by plane in America. You know, mm. we're talking about oh, yeah. either renting an RV and doing the Grand Canyon or, you know, some of that kind of stuff, totally. the Badlands and that kind of stuff. So, um, for me, I wanted to pick things that people, pro you know, were not only what I listened to on a road trip, but people probably hadn't heard of, you know, it's easy to pick like the bright lights by Interpol or a Beck. Right. Um, yeah. Beck album or something like that. Um, so my first pick, I wanted to pick something kind of atmospheric that, you know, mm. you could listen to while you're driving across some sort of surreal landscape like Utah or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which if anyone hasn't driven across Utah, it's a trip. Oh my it's, God. It's like you're driving through Mars. It is. Yeah. Um, so I picked this album called Beat by the Bowery Electric. Have you heard Have you heard this record? I think you would dig this record. Oh, actually. no, I haven't. And this is a record. There was one time my brother and I, uh, when we had a limited number of CDs, uh, were living together in an apartment for the summer. I think we listened to this record back to back like 
dozens and dozens of times. So I know it's a awesome. record that I don't get get sick of, so it'd be going on a road trip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Empty Words by Bowery Electric, which is the second song on um, Beat. Awesome! I would, yeah. I would gotta get that. Yeah, super unique sound. Like the way the vocals are mixed, like down in the mix, and the drums and the yeah kind of guitar synth or whatever is making that sort of droney sound is like all at the same level. But yeah, and the all the songs are really different too. Oh, so, really? Um, I mean, they're all kind of in the same vein, like really sort of ethereal female vocals, a pretty good beat. Kind That's of behind killer, them. man. That's almost like I want. That's kind of what I always want, like, Sigur Rose to sound like, you know? Yeah. A little bit more driving and a little bit, um, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I, you know, this, that album came out in the early, early to mid, I want to say like in 93, maybe. Really? You know, and if you, you know, think about people like Purity Ring now, they're like doing a, a like, louder, sort of more sped up version, but... You know, without bands like Bowery Electric and um, Portishead, you know, people like Purity Ring wouldn't exist. So Right. Yeah, exactly. Portishead, yeah, came to mind for sure. Yeah. So. Oh, that's a killer one. Um, all right. So my second pick um, is, I, I don't know, how, there's something about, like, I mean, it's got to go back to, like, pre- um, CD player in the car. Like, it's this has got to go back to, like, days when it's only radio, when you had the AM, FM radio. But there's something about classic rock in on a road trip that I just love. Um, so I've got to pick, like, one of my favorite... I, I'm an enormous... I love Foreigner. Like, <laughs> unapologetically. Awesome. Unapologetically yeah. love Foreigner. Um, you know, whenever we do this, I'm constantly surprised by... How literary your book picks are, you know, <laughs> like as someone who went to got an undergraduate degree in English and creative writing and then went to grad school for poetics. Yeah. Like, you always pick much more literary leaning stuff than I do. <laughs> and then your music picks. I'm always like <laughs> you just pick the most mainstream yet yet still kind of obscure yeah. shit in this way that constantly surprises me. <laughs> There's something. Here's the thing. Like for, if you. If you like rock and roll, or even if you got a pulse, like you cannot not love Foreigner. You could like you could maybe, you know, I think most people get turned on to it just by listening to classic rock. So it gets lumped into like, you know, it gets lumped into the just the big pile of whatever you know shit fucking Eagles song comes on after right. the crappy ass fucking yeah you know whatever came bad company song. So I could see how some people may not dig it, but if you listen to foreigner as like 
if you listen to them with a purpose, man, I'm telling you, and put this record on for a road trip, it's killer. All right. Sell me on Foreigner. So good, man. What oh, it's got? an easy, easy sell. Everybody knows um, the – this is from their um, – from their fucking all-time classic uh, Double Vision. Here's the uh, here's the title track to to the record. It's um, I mean it's fucking unstoppable. Oh. kicks into the chorus like of course i've heard that song yeah oh yeah there's sure. some of the like the bridge too i, I recognize the don't don't right yeah um, um i love 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 foreigner it's so rock and roll it's straight ahead yeah and man i just lumped that in with that whole era of music in like fourth and fifth grade that i'm just like yeah before i when i was just listening to the radio and just listening to whatever like that was just in there in the mix of stuff so it's interesting that you you pick that out because oh yeah i, I do for sure i definitely highlight that I, for me this sits way separate from from the rest of that stuff like it's 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 fucking it's like it's unapologetic just pure rock and roll and you can listen to it and like you, you cannot not help like you sing along with every single song. It's it's so fucking good, man. I, I and um my son Jack loves it. He's one. <laughs> so I don't know what that says about me or about him. But I, I will say it's I've been the girls love Mr. Roboto. Like we put oh, that on yeah. all the time. I mean that's kind of got like this weird story to it. And yeah, but so huh any foreigner uh, uh, all yeah. right I'm, i'll take that back not any foreigner but like those first couple of records are they're so good cool let's check it out so my next one once again i wanted to pick this album like i i feel like i want to evangelize this record all the time because um these guys were in an indie rock band uh, they went on to do other bands it was kind of in the era where like everyone was still trying to hit and like you could still be like you know have a hit record with like maybe with an indie rock band or breakthrough and when this record just was way ahead of its time because when interpol came out and interpol was like massive i was like oh my god satisfact which is the name of this band like yeah. they were doing this you know six seven eight years ago that's right yeah and um not too dissimilar it's not exactly like interpol interpol is like much slower and more droney right um and i picked one of their especially rocking tracks but this is um a track called escapism for the future by satisfact on the this is a good um, pick on the unfortunately um prophetically titled the unwanted sounds of <laughs> uh so here it is like crazy sort of 70s futuristic synths and for sure know, yeah that's a that, really good stuff. yeah i haven't i, haven't, I forget who turned me on to them it was a connection through um i think they came via split ends somehow okay um 
I don't remember. Mitchell Froome is, I believe, is Mitchell Froome um, was keyboard player in Split Ends, went on to produce a bunch of Crowded House records. Um, and I think he has a connection to these guys. I think I, I could be wrong on that, but, um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a good pick. I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah. I'm into that record. They, they did release one record after that, which has some good tracks. I don't think it's as solid overall as a record, but, um, then they went on to be, all be in other bands and do other things. But, um, yeah, but I figured, you know, you have the Bowery Electric for something a little more atmospheric. That record has a bunch of variation on it, but it's like a little more rocking, a little more sort of has that like retro futuristic sound yeah, still yeah. to it too. Um, so yeah, good one. Good pick. All right. My last, um, my last pick is, um, it's required listening for, for pretty much anybody or, and it's not, it's something that most everybody knows about. And it's the, um, the complete Robert Johnson recordings. Mm, um, good one. Yeah. They just re-released, um, so his hundredth birthday was in 2011 and they did the century, um, release, which is the latest. So his stuff has been around since the late thirties, disappeared for a while, um, did they have to kick money back to the devil since the devil has points on Robert Johnson? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it was the it was a Robert Johnson, I think, foundation, which is his grandson that um, did a, a rework of it. So, but I mean, here he his recorded life is twenty nine songs, and that's all that exists. So there's only you know there's a few different takes of each song, right. um, but there's twenty nine songs, and that's it. And they're fucking amazing. I mean, anybody that knows anything, I mean, the the band, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, I mean, everyone has covered Robert Johnson songs, you know. For um, sure. He's, un- I mean, he died when he was 27 years old. And imagine, like, if you listen to his guitar playing, there's, he does things that are nearly impossible. Like, if you heard that now, I think if you heard some of these recordings now, you would be like, they're, they're, that's there's multiple tracks going on right because he does incredible like right hand changes where he changes from like the super rhythmic strumming to like this completely like melodic sort of um like head of a song and it's you'd be convinced that there's two guitars playing at once he's unbelievable so i'm gonna play um a quick this one's one of my favorites um uh come on in my kitchen He is, un- I mean, the king of the blues. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, sorry. I mean, all all respect to B.B. King, dearly departed. That was... Yeah. They usually refer to him as the king of the Delta blues. They, he's the king of the Delta blues. That's right. That's right. Um, have which, you uh, read the Peter Goralnik book, Searching for Robert Johnson? I have not. Oh, man. It's really short, but it's basically, he looks at the whole myth of the crossroads and wh- how that myth came about and what actually happened. Like, how did Robert Johnson live? leapfrog everyone right Um, because basically what happened was there uh he went to this place where people used to you know tip for a typical setup and they used to do this with jazz as well where you would try to basically audition for a, a spot on the stage and uh he went from like you know six months previous kind of being laughed off the stage and all these kind of the reigning sort of bluesmen just like making fun of him and he was the butt of their jokes to he disappeared and no one saw him and he basically came back and was like 
light years ahead of everyone. And so Gralnik talks to his grandson and talks to other people that were still still around about what happened, what were the circumstances that led to this, and he comes up with like some pretty, I think, plausible theories for what actually happened. Really, uh, yeah, that's I've heard. I do remember that story. Now that you're saying that, that he he disappeared for six months and basically, I mean, I, he went and woodshedded, right? I mean, just pretty much. I mean, what what Gorelnik explores in this book was like he got in trouble. Like he basically had to hightail it to uh, like a few towns over because he got in trouble. There was like basically he was sleeping with someone's wife and it was going to turn yep. to violence. So he had to go cool his heels for a while. And he went a couple towns over where he had some relatives he could stay with. And he didn't have anything to do there. He didn't have a job or anything. So he basically just played guitar for six months straight. Yeah. And just started pioneering all these new techniques and doing all this stuff. And anyone who, you know, puts in their 10,000 hours, you know, as the cliche goes. For sure, Comes yeah. back, you know, he just... Worked his ass off. Basically, it was hard work. And, you know, obviously there was some raw, innate talent there. And, you know, he was went off and played by himself and wasn't being particularly influenced by anyone else. There are a couple of people that are like that. There's this other guy that um, I love named Robert Pete Williams, who oh, yeah. is like totally has this very non-traditional blues style. And he's sort of like kind of developed in a vacuum, so to speak, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I'll tell you the thing I love about this for a road trip is that um, it's it's so raw. I mean, this is literally turn on the microphone and, and record it. And, like, there's the thing I think that is so great about this recording is it's ancient, right? It's so sure. old. I mean, it's working on 100 years now. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, it's 80 years Um and you, you don't get, I mean, music is so produced now, which is great. I'm all for it. You know what I mean? But there's something so original about this. And to be in a car driving and listening to this, it's like you and him, it's like he's singing to you. And it's so, his stuff is so personal. Like he's writing about shit that was happening in his life. And it was a pretty troubled life. Like you say, I mean, he, he ran amok of all kinds of people and, right. and, um, and he was like the first singer songwriter, really, you know. Um, and it's very raw, and y you make a connection with him if you're if you can sit, you know, and have the time like you would on a road trip to sit and listen to him. It's awesome. Absolutely, cool. Well, my uh, last pick is going to be someone that people have heard of. It's not nearly as sort of obscure or um, doesn't does someone who has gotten recognition doesn't, you know, like I said, those first two records, uh, Bowery Electric and the Satisfact one, I wish people would give them more recognition. Um, it's the new, uh, Sufjan Stevens record, Carrie and Lowell. Yeah. So, um, I have tuned out of Sufjan Stevens admittedly for a little while. I love the, uh, Michigan and the Illinois records. As soon as he announced he was doing that 50 States project thing, it was like, oh man, I, I made this exact same mistake with writing projects where you get this concept and you're like, I'm going to write a short story every week for 52 weeks or whatever. You know, yeah. it's just like, it's an impossible Sisyphean really task. Is. Yeah. You know, and as soon as he announced it, it was like, oh man. You you just you shouldn't have said that. You've locked yourself into a career of making these records, and it's going to be hard to make them to differentiate them. And, yeah, you know it's it's to his credit, like this, you know the both the Illinois and the Michigan records are really great. They are, but yeah. he lived in that area and it spent a ton of time there. And he was talking about doing like a Delaware EP and all these things, which was an interesting concept. He's obviously moved away from that Fifty Six project and is doing other things. So I sort of like. Tuned in a little bit, but like I said, it's hard to keep up when you have a job and kids and all that stuff. For sure, yeah. So I thought it would be nice to – I've spun this record a couple times, and I think it's really great. It's yeah, I like, haven't listened to it yet. the best thing he's done in, in a few records for sure. And there's something about um, taking a record with you on a road trip and like having it be – like a process of – partial process of discovery on that road trip so that you associate like – learning to love or coming to love that record with the experience of being on the road trip that I think is really interesting. That's a great call. Yeah, for so, sure. Um, I'm going to play a track of the record called Should Have Known Better, and this is um, Sufjan Stevens from Carrie and Lowell. Should have known better 
That's nice, man. So, you know, it's not going to, not a shocking departure for anyone who's loved any of his stuff, but I think kind of a, a return to form and an evolution at the same time. And it feels like, you know, it's an album where he's telling a story about these people. And like I said, I haven't, I've only listened to it a couple of times. I haven't dug in enough to get the full sort of conceptual picture, but um, it's, you know, He's great. I, I love he him. He is and great. Some, some of that's square in the DNA of, or, you know, from the same DNA of what he's done before is going to be appealing to me for sure. And I think he's an amazing singer-songwriter. The instrumentation is great. His voice is great. Oh, yeah. So, oh, that's killer, man. Yeah, thanks for the reminder on that. I'm, I'm actually, um, and it's going to get some play around the house this weekend. Beth loves him, and she's been subjected to some pretty... Some pretty some shit that's foreigner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's been a lot of foreigner around the house, so she's tired of it. I play it when she's out. Yeah. The foreigner gets cranked when she's out. But there has been some experimentation going on around the house lately. I think that would be a welcome kind of respite for a bit. Yeah. So good one. That's a good choice. That's awesome. All right. Well, that concludes our tenth episode of Good Looking Out. Once again, sorry for the audio snafu on nine. Nine will forever be missing. Yeah. And you'll. Whatever we talked about, the brilliance that we shared in that was vote, it will be lost for the ages, <laughs> except for a few people. So uh, thanks once again to Kaya Fisher for all of the help yes, uh, and you. the audio gear uh, recommendation. We're uh, rocking a new setup with the Apogee Duet. So hopefully you all feel like the audio quality has once again taken a step forward. Uh, after a minor stutter step backwards. I think Forner uses this in yeah. the studio. I, I bet. Endorsed by Forner, <laughs> Apogee Duet. Get it at a store or a website near you. All right. Thanks. All right. See ya.